0: We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Welcome everybody to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I forget, someone help me. What is the name of our sermon series? Oh, thank goodness. It's called Nobody Left Out. Y'all remember, that's good. We are in the sixth week of our sermon series called Nobody Left Out. And I trust that you're enjoying reading along with us in this 40-day devotional. Anybody enjoying it? I hope you're enjoying it. A little little nod of the head, all right? Good. It's a book by uh, author author Michael Murray. You can check that out just about anywhere. Amazon has it. They even sell it in back alleys. You just go, hey, do you have nobody left out? And they're like, yeah. And they've got a whole, it's kind of, it's a black market thing. It's amazing. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the man blind from birth. birth. You knew it. Blind from birth. Somebody say, blind from birth. Now, this, this story is amazing and it takes up an entire chapter. It takes up the whole chapter of 9 of John. John chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with us. John chapter 9 is a short story, but it gets complicated. And then it becomes a long story. You ever have a story that that should have been way simpler than that? I have those stories all the time. They're my sermons. They just, they should have been way more simple than they ended up. So it becomes this full chapter epic when we include the misunderstandings of people. Raise your hand if you've ever been misunderstood. Oh, let, let it be said that the misunderstandings of people make every chapter of our life tediously longer than they need to be oh if only somebody could understand me that's one of the great desires in the world everybody wants to be understood when you are uh every so in an argument or in a discussion just calm down a little bit instead of trying to be understood for a moment try to understand and I think you'll go a lot further in that conversation. Let's look at John chapter 9 beginning at verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, "Rabbi," means teacher, "who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind?" So, we have the disciples of Jesus. These are his bros. These aren't just uh, people passing on the street. These are his disciples. They see a man that is born blind. Now wait, how did they know he was born blind? There must have been a little bit of talk about this guy. What do you think? Yeah, he probably didn't wear a sign that said blind from birth. They could tell he was blind, but how did they know he was blind from birth? There had to be some talking around there. And they assume if he is blind from birth, then someone must have sinned. They jump straight to that. Notice that. Someone must have sinned. And they're asking Jesus, in the presence of the blind man, mind you. Now, this gets awkward. Picture this. All right. The blind man is right here. And they're, Jesus is right here. The disciples are right here. And they're like, Hey. This man burns blind. See him? Who sin? Now I want to point out to you that the man is blind, not deaf. Hey, is this no good blind man a no good sinner? That's what they're doing. <laughs> so this this blind man who can hear fine, he absolutely hears this interaction. And let me tell you, it is likely not. The first time he heard himself discussed like this at the heart of the disciples' misinformed misunderstood question is a useful question that I wish the disciples would have asked instead that asked that that question is this: why is there suffering that's a much better question than who sinned here i I, I really think I, I I would get a lot more uh out of it, if, if Jesus would respond directly to this question, disciples, y'all really miss it. Why is there suffering? Because you've all asked that question. You see the bad news on TV and you're like, why, God, is this happening? You hear about innocent children that are hurt and you're like, why, God, is that happening? I could understand if bad things were happening to the Philadelphia Eagles. But why to innocent people? They're asking Jesus in the presence of the blind who sinned. I am certain that we've all asked this question. Why would God allow people to die? Why do innocent children suffer? Why is there sickness? Why did this hurtful thing happen to me or to the ones that I love? In fact, let's just go ahead and do it. Like around this house. If there's somebody in your life, you, you have a constant conversation with God. Why why is this bad thing happening to somebody? Look around the room. You're not alone. You're not alone. Lord, why can't you just deliver them right now? It is a tough situation. You are not alone. Sarah and I have our own situations and, and people that we're uh, carrying our hearts uh, for prayer. And we're praying for some of you. And we should all be lifting up every all of our needs together. Amen. But instead of asking Jesus to give a better understanding of suffering and pain they ask who sinned. In other words, whose fault is it? Who is to blame? And everybody's really interested in that question especially when they are not the ones to blame. Really good. You never bring up, you know, what you did, right? You bring up what someone else did. That that's a thing, all right? I imagine the blind man who was very capable of hearing, was surprised, not at the disciples, but at the response of Jesus. Look at it, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus. Jesus does not lay the blame at the man's feet, nor at the feet of his parents. As we will see in this chapter, the disciples were not the only ones to assume the blame must be on the man or his parents. In fact, it was widely a widely held belief that suffering, especially from birth, was caused by someone's gross sin. And to understand it, they came up with all kinds of stuff. They even believed that somehow God knew in advance that you were going to be a sinner, a really bad sinner, and so he would do something to you in the womb. some people thought that, and some you know some people thought, well, actually they were actually such evil babies, they were somehow sinning in the womb. I have no idea what babies could be doing sinning in the womb but but that's where their minds are going. What are they doing? They're trying to understand why is there suffering, but they're coming about it. whose fault is it? Who is the sinner here? So, now imagine a blind man overhearing Jesus say, it's not your fault. I have no idea if the blind man had ever heard this before, but I would tell you that it's very likely nobody had ever told the blind man it's not. Maybe it's been a long time since you have heard that. Maybe you've never heard that about a certain situation in your life. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. You're going through something difficult. You're experiencing suffering that is totally beyond your control. You didn't cause it. Maybe your child is born with a condition. Maybe you're born with a disability. Maybe you were born into a family that abused you. You cannot control any of those things. I think Jesus would have you know it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Listen, you might have a whole group of people yelling, pointing, telling you it's not your fault. Write that down for a moment. Listen, I believe Jesus would tell you exactly what he told this blind man. It's not your fault. Plenty of things in life are our own fault. But not everything. Don't you dare think that everything is your fault. Jesus does not want you to beat yourself up over these kind of things. And Jesus does not want his own disciples to beat you up either. I'll say that one more time. Jesus does not want his church to beat you up either jesus doesn't want a christian who sits near you in the building to beat you up either and that's why he stands against his disciples and he tells them something that made them go what he stood up and said neither you got it wrong you want to know who sinned i'm telling you you are barking up the wrong tree that's actually greek it says it that in the greek no not at all but it he's telling them you're wrong you've got it all wrong guys the dude didn't sin. His parents didn't sin either. What a moment. Jesus continues. Verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sin," said Jesus. He goes on, But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There are some who use this verse to preach what I consider to be a, a gross message. We can talk about it anytime you want to. We can have coffee hammer it out. Some use this verse to say God causes people to be born blind so that he can heal them. When well, you consider that a little bit, I can see why they get that from this verse. I can see that. But some people take this to go, God made this man born blind so that decades later he could walk up and heal him. So I want you to imagine a person who causes a problem so that they can fix the problem and receive the credit for being a problem fixer. They are not the problem causer. They are, sorry, they are the problem causer. They are not really the problem fixer. By the way, politics is very much built on this very premise, right? Create a problem, then they say, Send us back to Washington so that we can fix it. Happens all the time, right? Then throw us a parade, we fix the problem. Like, wait, wait. I thought you caused that problem. But I digress. I do not hold to a belief that God afflicts a man with blindness, so that God can later be adored as a healer. Want you to tell you that. I believe that. I do not believe that God causes this awful thing so that then he can walk up and go, oh this awful thing. Let me fix it for you. So I've got some discussion on that. I've got it in my notes. I'll I'll pop it up there. It goes into Greek. We're going to move on. But this is really important to me. I want you to know Jesus Christ is ever bit as glorious as the word of God says he is. And there is nothing about Jesus you ever have to hold your nose about and go, ooh, I don't like how that smells, but I'll try to worship him anyway. I want you to know if there's something that looks off with Jesus, I'm telling you, it's your translation. It is your understanding of the scripture. He is wonderful in every single way. He's not a problem causer. He's a problem fixer. So without getting into a long, drawn-out argument on one verse of Scripture, let's all agree that Jesus is pointing our attention towards the works of God. That's what he is pointing us to here, the works of God. Jesus walks up to a problem and rather spend time lecturing us on the problem. I don't need a lecture on my problems. I know I got them. Instead of doing that, Jesus comes and he talks about the works of God, and then he does the works of God. Somebody say the works of God. My Christian brothers and sisters, maybe the world needs to see the works of God instead of receiving our lecture on who sinned. Let it hang, let you feel that for a moment. Maybe what the world really needs to witness and feel and experience is the works of a God of love rather than us wagging our finger at, look at what you've done. That's why all of this is the way it is. It's all you guys' fault, right? Y'all with me on that? There was an earthquake in Haiti in 2010. And a well-known Christian named Pat Robertson said that the suffering was caused by the pact the nation had made with the devil in the early 1800s. Maybe you remember this, not the 1800s part, but the 2010 part. And this is exactly the issue that we're reading in in John chapter nine. There is this devastation in Haiti, and he says, "Well." It's all their fault because people they don't even know in the 1800s, 200 years ago, did this awful thing and now they're paying the price for it. Listen, can I tell you something? This is, you can, we can talk about the theology of all this, but here's something I know, Ashley, and I know we can all agree on. Here it is. The Haitians did not need a lecture at this point in time. Save your lecture. We're trying to pull children out of rubble. Oh, come on. They don't need a lecture right now on who the sinner is. Just like the blind man didn't need a soapbox sermon on who sinned. Instead, the earthquake in Haiti, like the blind man, it served as an opportunity for somebody to reveal the works of God. It was an opportunity for somebody to reach into their wallet and say, I'm going to send money For food, I'm going to find a way to send help over there. I'm going to fall down on my knees and pray. I'm a Christian in Haiti, and I am totally not in the majority. I'm totally in the minority, but I am going to get my hands dirty, and I'm going to try to pull people out of this situation because I want the works of God to be revealed. Pastor, for a moment, could you not lecture somebody on the sin, and could you get your hands dirty Doing the works of God. Somebody say amen if I'm around the right lines. Anybody think I am? To the young woman who had an abortion, we don't condemn you. We want to know how can we help you. We want to see the works of God done in your life, and don't you let anybody tell you that the works of God can't be done in your life. There is no sin, there is nothing that you could ever do that would stop the works of God from being done. Oh my goodness. To the refugees in a foreign land, we should not point our finger at at you in accusation, but we should embrace you. You are the opportunity that we've been praying for you are the opportunity to see the works of God being done. Don't you know that when you help someone, it's the works of God? The works of God are healing, so go heal someone. The works of God are feeding someone, so go so feed someone. The works of God are comfort, so go comfort someone to the person who is watching online. Because you do not have the courage yet to walk into a church building because of all your past mistakes. Can I tell you something? We want to meet you, not so that we can throw stones at you. We want to meet you because we want a front row seat to the works of God being done in you. We're going to see it. We want to see it. I'm telling you, we want to see it. Someone needs to pray this prayer today. Here it is. God, help me to do your work. Can you pray that? God? Help me to do your work. Lord, help me to stop doing other stupid work. (laughs) Help me to do your work. Reveal your work to me and then do your work in me and help me to be a part of it. The man, blind from birth, he was healed by who? By Jesus, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made mud, placed it on the man's eyes, then instructs the man to go wash it off in a certain pool. And then, boom, what happens? The works of God are done. And the man is healed. Verse 8, moving on. His neighbor and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Verse 9, some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. What a weird situation this guy's in. Guy can't even get a break. He just got healed and it's already weird. Some neighbors these are, right? Who thinks these are good neighbors? They don't recognize the neighbor who had been blind from birth. You can't miss this guy, right? Which guy? The blind one? You know, the one tapping around everywhere? The one that's holding on somebody? The one who bumped into you, but he couldn't help it because he didn't know you were there? Because he's blind? It's not hard to find the blind guy. It's the blind guy, and it's not just the blind guy. It's a blind guy from birth. He was blind as a baby. You saw him running around. He kept running into walls, trying to run with all the kids. It was crazy. Uh-huh. Maybe the neighbors are the ones who should get their eyes checked. They can't understand who this guy is. Who is this the guy? It looks like him. No, it doesn't. It's surely not the guy. They were commanded, these were Jews, they are commanded to love their, say it again, love their neighbor. Who thinks they're doing a good job of that? <laughs> love their neighbor. They can't even identify their neighbor. Jesus had not changed the way the man looked. Do you get this? (laughs) It's not like, I'm going to heal your eyes and give you high cheekbones. He didn't do this. (laughs) The guy looked exactly the same, except he could see. That was the only thing about him. And he didn't make him taller. He didn't change his wardrobe. Yet Jesus only changed one thing about the man. And the one thing Jesus changed was the one thing his neighbors identified about him. It was his label. Everyone said label. You see, they didn't know what he looked like. They didn't even know his name. They didn't know a thing about him. They just had a a label for him. What do you call the blind man when he's no longer blind? (laughs) These neighbors... Only identified the blind man by his disability, by his weakness, by his frailty, by his past. Verse 10. How then were your eyes open? The neighbors asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. Then I can see, verse 12, where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. So it seems like these neighbors don't know Jesus either. Who? Where is this guy? They are asking a guy who's been able to see for five minutes, can you direct us to Jesus? This is an interesting turn of events. This guy has never given directions before in his life. Where is this guy? Where is this man? These neighbors don't recognize their formerly blind neighbor, and they don't know Jesus, but they do know somebody. Who do they know? They know Pharisees. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Oh, thanks a lot, neighbors. So they don't know the blind man. They don't know Jesus, but they know these guys, and we've talked about them the last few weeks. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, we can talk uh, about that. Uh, if you don't know, if you don't know a Pharisee in your life, I want to suggest, very lovingly, that you might be a Pharisee. Okay. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like that saying at a poker table: if you don't know who the sucker is, you're probably the sucker. It works that way a little bit. If you don't know who the really judgmental Religious person is that thinks they're better than everyone else. If you don't know who that person is, you you might want to look in a mirror. You could be that person. Do y'all get that? Y'all get that about that? All right. So, yeah. All right. Pharisees are always closer than you think. They're they're around. And these neighbors feel like they need to get to the bottom of this miracle, and instead of wondering why is there suffering, they are pondering. Why is this obvious sinner not suffering anymore? Thus, the neighbors called the theology police. Everyone say theology police. Dum da dum dum da dum da. Big big lights on a car driving up. dump da Dragnet. dump da dump da. It's the theology police. They are here. Have you ever had a run-in with theology police? Anybody have a run-in with theology police? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, that's one of our our major things at uh, our connect groups. We always make sure uh, to put down, we try to fight. You are not there to correct everyone's theology. You're not a theology police. Everybody is welcome. In fact, you are able to open up at a connect group and say things that are not true and we love you so much, we're just going to walk with you as we walk closer to Jesus. We're not there to be like, um, actually, you know, and just define everything, right? Actually, you said that Hebrew word wrong a little bit. It's, it's Yeshua. All right, so <clears throat> these, neighbors, these neighbors have brought this man to the theology police. When your testimony, when you tell your testimony to others, they usually rejoice. But the theology police skeptically pull your testimony apart until they find something incorrect. Just pull it apart. They look under a microscope. These Pharisees started to investigate the miracle. They wanted to disprove the miracle. Even more so, they wanted to disprove the miracle giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. They quickly discovered that the miracle took place on what day? Anybody remember? The Sabbath day, it's the day of rest. Verse 14, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Verse 15, therefore the Pharisee also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Instead of the theology police being amazed, Instead of them, I don't know, giving glory to God that this man is healed in an amazing way. Wow, we always felt so sorry for this guy, and now this guy he's going to be able to be a part of society no instead of instead of any of that, they declared a law has been broken, just like. A policeman, you know, judging the law right here. So they're the theology police. And oh, there it is. A law has been broken. The Sabbath day is supposed to be a day of rest. And no work was supposed to be done on the Sabbath. And they could quote chapter and verse of the rules and regulations of Moses. So they heard that on the Sabbath, someone had put a little mud On the eyes of a man. So, got a little mud here. It's on the ground. Scoop it up. Rub it on. Oh, there it is. You're doing work. It's the Sabbath, and you're doing work. You have broken the law. The theology police decided this act surely had been work performed on the Sabbath day and a clear violation of the law. Now, here's the deal. Jesus, if he wanted to. Could have had a knock down, drag out argument over the law of Moses. And I'm telling you, he would have won. Right. It's God. But does Jesus do that? Because it's not the point. We're getting into all these theological arguments all the time. I can't stand it. I've seen it so much in church. Christians can't get along because somebody believes Adam had a belly button. Somebody said he obviously didn't have a belly button. That's an actual thing. Churches have actually split over such things, Courtney. It's happened. Theology police everywhere. Can I tell you, Jesus doesn't focus on any of those things in this story. Let's read on verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, "This man is not from God." Man, did they get that wrong. <laughs> they're talking about Jesus. Lillian, they're talking about Jesus. This man is actually God, and he's not not a not from God, he says, uh, "For he does not keep the Sabbath." But others ask, "How can a sinner perform such signs. So they were divided. So they're even divided. They're like, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, he probably didn't keep it. But, but look what, look at the fruit of this, this man's healed. And so now they're actually divided amongst themselves. Jesus divides. Do you know that? I, I want to think that Jesus just brings everybody together for a picnic and we all have, you know, some potato salad and some sandwiches, and we're all just happy together. No, Jesus said, I've come to bring a, what? A sword, I've come to to divide. And right here, even among the Pharisees, he divides. I'm going to tell you, Jesus divides. Still today, the subject of Jesus is divisive. To invoke his name and to declare his teachings in the public square, it will divide people. And you see it, you see it all the time. The Pharisees are divided, which leads them to try a different tactic. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to split right here. We're going to have a, their own little church split over, you know, this situation. So they change their tactic. What's their next tactic? Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind. Wait, wait, read that right. They still did not believe that he had been blind. and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. They're sending for who? His parents. All right. Uh, So verse 19, is this your son? Now they're trying to disprove this man that he doesn't even exist. This is where they're going with it. They asked him this. they, They asked the parents this. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Just imagine like a really corny crime drama in the courtroom pulling their witnesses, verse 20. We know he's our son, (laughs) the parents answered. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah, that's our boy. Yeah. Lucas, what you done now? Right? The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. So they tried, the Pharisees, the theology police to disprove that the man born blind was ever really born blind. What a tactic. They're running out of options. Perhaps he was just pretending from birth to be blind. Maybe as a toddler, he was just pretending. So they asked his parents silly questions like, is this your son, and was he really born blind? The parents continued, verse 21. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23. That was why his parents said he is of age, ask him. His own parents are so worried about the power of the Pharisees, they're like, uh, let's just, uh, go ask our son, we're out of here. Leaving their son without any defense other than, yeah, that's, our, that's him, we know him. The parents are reluctant to answer all these questions. Anyone who acknowledged Jesus as Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Say synagogue. The theology police would disfellowship this family from the community. And so the parents were careful not to say how their son was healed. Can I just suggest to you they probably knew? Can I just suggest to you that the boy probably went straight home and told them? They probably were all rejoicing. And they were probably like, tell us everything. Son. But now in this religious context, I'm telling you, religion can be a weird thing. Religion can be a, a a gross thing. And this is a gross thing here. The way they're treating these parents. The way they're treating the miracle. The way they treat Jesus. And now causing the parents, the way the parents are treating their boy. It's gross. Religion is not the same as relationship. And I tell you that religion is not necessarily, we can just come into a room and have a bunch of religion. We can go through the motions. We can sing the song. You can hear the thing. We can pass the plate. And then we go, all right, I'll see you back here next Sunday for the next religious hour. And then we'll do that. And you can do that. And people do that all the time. And people can go their entire life in a church religious atmosphere and never know Jesus. There is a big difference between religion and relationship. Can I tell you, religion gets gross and it gets weird. But, re- but Jesus is not gross or weird. Even when he's rubbing mud on your eyes, God, Jesus is not gross and weird. He's a healer. He is full of love and he's full of compassion and he's everything that you need and he's wonderful. Ah. If only those religious theology police would have realized this about Jesus, they could have met him too on this day. Verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man. So this is the Pharisees. They're asking the man who was formerly blind. Give God, give glory to God, they said, by telling the truth. They just called him a liar. You see this? Now, why don't you tell the truth? Give God some glory, you no good sinner, they said. So we know this man is a sinner. So now they aren't talking about the man born blind. They're talking about who? Jesus. Uh, These guys are not so sharp. They told us he's not from God, and now they're telling us that Jesus is a sinner. These guys, they got it all wrong. Religion can get it absolutely wrong. Jesus is a sinner. No, Jesus is without sin, but he dies to take on the sins of all the world. You got it exactly wrong, theology police. Verse 25, he replied, now this is the blind man speaking. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. You, theology police, y'all just have at it. Y'all have a bunch of fun. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Anybody know a song that talks about being blind? But now I see. Sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. that saved. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. Clap your hands if you love that. It's the truth. That song. Gets its inspiration right here from this story. Have you ever seen a crime investigation movie where they interrogate subjects under bright hot lights? Yeah. Oh, it's awfully hot in here. Sure, it would be nice to have something to drink. How about answering a few questions and and we're gonna go get you a cold drink. In fact, we got a cold drink right here. Why don't you just give a little glory to God and answer these questions and we'll open up this. Diet Dr. Pepper. That's what the theology police are doing. They're grilling him and they're making it uncomfortable and they're bringing him back a second time and they're asking him the exact same questions and they're putting all this pressure on this guy. I want to remind you, the neighbors did not know the man nor Jesus. The theology police did not know the man nor did they know Jesus. The Pharisees only knew what they wanted to disprove. They wanted to disprove Jesus. So they asked the same questions over and over again. They asked who, and they asked how, and they kept asking, it, hoping to get a different response so they could catch him up in a lie, just like all the big crime dramas. Now, a Pharisee will walk up to a miracle and ask, is it really God? undeniable miracle. But they'll ask, is it really God? They will ask, how did it happen? We've got to know how it happened. These are the same guys that say, let's give glory to God and they've got a miracle and they don't want to give any glory to God. How did it happen? How did it happen? And most certainly, the Pharisees will never praise God. You You can find a Pharisee quickly by those three things. They'll quickly Always ask endless questions. Is it really God? How did it happen? And they will never give praise to God. It is okay to ask questions. It is okay to wonder how, who, and why. Absolutely. But I want to tell you today, it is not okay to strip others of their faith. Not okay. That's a gross thing. Don't you ever do it. It is not okay to conclude that God is anything but praiseworthy. If you conclude that God is not praiseworthy in this situation, you may be a Pharisee. Even when our theology is not one hundred percent correct, God is still praiseworthy. Even when I say something that's not correct, God is still praise worthy. My goodness, I've seen that religious spirit. I've seen it get a hold of people. Some people. They'll be preaching with me, and then I'll say something they don't like, and they'll be like, hmm. Won't get anything out of them the rest of the night because they, they're mad about how I, I mentioned some biblical thing. That's a Pharisee thing. Can I tell you, it, God's praiseworthy has nothing to do with this dunderhead in the pulpit. God's praiseworthy because he is God. And it doesn't matter what is said, you agree with it or not, God is praiseworthy, and be quick to praise him. Even when our faith is wobbly, God is praiseworthy. Even when we don't get the answers we want, God is still praiseworthy. Now, this is where this comes on the screen right here. I want you to know this. Any theology, doctrine, or belief that does not bring you to a greater understanding of God's worth is false. Any theology, I don't care If they've got degrees on the wall. I don't care how many books they've written. I don't care how large their church is. Any theology. Any doctrine. Any sermon. Any belief that does not bring you to a greater understanding of God's worth. Is false. God is worthy. And he is worthy to a greater degree than you've discovered yet. You are yet to understand more. How worthy he is, this is the ultimate test of what is true and false. The unsurpassable greatness of God is gradually revealed to us as we learn what is true, and you know it's true if it makes God more glorious. If it makes him more worthy of praise i'm telling you it's true. When I tell you Jesus Christ is God, that ought to let you know something's really wonderful because Jesus is wonderful, that means God is wonderful. Jesus is faithful. That means God is faithful. That Jesus is a healer, that means that God is a healer. Jesus is so worthy, that means our God is so worthy. See, that that truth right there. I just brought out a truth, right? You can take it at face value, but I'm telling you, it's ultimately true if it makes God more worthy of praise. If I told you God is a liar, do you need to look up a scripture or verse? Or does that, that sentence... Make God less worthy of praise. It makes Him less worthy of praise. I don't have time for that. Let's get that right out of here. God won't just forgive anybody. Do I need to show you a scripture on that? Or does that paint God as less worthy and less faithful and less wonderful and less full of love? I'm telling you, you, you take Jesus, your picture of Jesus it, your, is your litmus test for every doctrine, for every belief, and for every theology. He is beautiful, he's wonderful, and he shows us who God is. Verse 27, try to move on here. He answered. This is the man that's called in again, formerly blind, dude. Here it is. I have told you already, and you did not listen. What? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become Jesus' disciple too? And they said, yes, we do. No. Verse 28. They get angry. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are his fellow disciple. You are this fellow's disciple. You're a disciple of Jesus. Now we get it. Where they go. Wrong again, right? We are disciples of Moses. Verse 29. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. That's a dig at his parent. His mother is Mary, but his father is God. We can't prove who his father is. So they are both insulting the man formerly blind and the healer of the man. So now everyone loses their patience in this story. Now it gets real interesting. Get your popcorn ready. They're about to blow up. They're about to come to blows. Here it is. The formerly blind man has had enough of these silly questions. If the Pharisees refused to believe he was ever blind, then what good is it talking to them at all? Like I side with the blind man here. So the blind man lets him have it, and he gives them this sideways comment. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Are you guys thinking of converting? The formerly blind man asks one question. I want you to get this. The blind man has not asked a single question in this chapter until this time. He has been asked question, people ask questions about him in his hearing, people ask him questions, people just have assumptions about him, people ask him the same questions over and over. They ask accusing questions. They ask questions that assert that he's actually a liar. Don't you actually want to give God glory by telling the truth? What an insulting thing to say. He finally asked one question, and the Pharisees can't stand it. I'm telling you, Pharisees love to dish it out, but they can't take it. The Pharisees lose it. They become so angry, and they hurl insults and accusations. And they reveal their heart motives to be biased. Verse 34. You were steeped in sin at birth. See how we're full circle here? You remember how this chapter started? Who sinned? They said, how dare you lecture us? Sinner. They threw him out. Sinner. Get out of here, sinner. They too blamed his suffering on his sin from birth. See that? He was steeped in sin at birth. That's why he was blind. How dare you? These Pharisees identified the man by his past. Just like his neighbor. Who are you to lecture us? I would like to ask. Who was the Pharisee. To lecture the healed. And they threw him out. Now it could be that they threw him out of their presence. But it's more likely that they threw him out. Of the synagogue. And That was a very serious matter. That shattered the little community. That this man. Born blind. May have had. Now he's not even welcome in the synagogue to hear about the works of God. Ever been so treated, treated so badly in church that you were thrown out? Anybody? Yeah, it happened. It happened. Yeah. Right, Clyde Yeah. I actually have. And I want to tell you, it's less fun than it sounds. Not nearly as fun as you would maybe think, Rick. It's not fun an awful, an awful, why is there suffering, remember that's where we started, we started with that question, why, why is there suffering, the blind man was suffering, but Jesus found him, and healed him, but but you need to hear this next lesson, here it is, you're never quite free from suffering in this life, I don't mean to put you down on that, but we know very well that you get out of one problem and it seems like you get into the next one, right? You might have a weekend off, but sometimes it's like bam, bam, the next thing, right? I mean, you can get in a car wreck one moment, lose your job the next moment. You can get sick the next moment. Get a call that someone else is sick the next moment. You, you And let me tell you, there, there are wonderful Christians out there that they suffer. And some of them are in this room. You're never quite free from suffering in this life. And we have some guys on, on on the television station that say, you know, send in your seed offering. You know, send in big offering. And I want to just tell you that when you see, send this in, you know, you're going to be healed forever. And you'll never have another problem in your life. And you're going to be free. From all the suffering. I want to tell you. You know you do what you need to do with your money. But I'm telling you. A lot of that is just absolute bogus. You're never quite free from suffering in this world. There's, there's suffering in this world. And I don't like suffering. But I'm so glad. That Jesus. Finds us. In our suffering. When we're at our wits' end, when we can't see which way's up, when we've lost our mind, when we are contemplating the worst things, Jesus still sees us, still approaches us, reaches out to us. He finds us in our suffering. See, that's really where it's at, guys. That's where it's at. Hmm. Move on. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Verse 36. I love just like the honesty of this guy. He literally doesn't have a clue. About a lot in this story. And it's okay. And it's all right. Quit. pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib. If you went, what did the pastor just have a stroke? If you are like that and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm saying. It's okay if you don't understand all It's all right. This guy understands so little. What helps him out is who's standing in front of him. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe. Jesus said, you have now seen him. <laughs> the man born blind. Earlier that day, he had seen a thing. Now, Jesus had given him the ability and positioned himself right in front of him and says, now you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Going to be coming to these altars really soon. I very quickly, I want to tell you about the joy of being pursued by Jesus. I don't say any of this to make light of suffering. Suffering is hard. Suffering takes a lot of your heart, it takes a lot of your strength, it takes a lot of your mind. It hurts. Suffering hurts. I want to tell you that Jesus when he pursues us that's where joy is found. We think joy is found when the suffering. Joy is found when you are found by aren't you glad that Jesus is not theology? He does not invite you to his theology school to credited by the way for years and it cost you $30,000. No ways of the Lord, The little piece of paper that says that you know the bible. He does not invite you You know, to come, you know, just teach you a lesson, show you where you're wrong, and then he's going to grade you accordingly. No, Jesus doesn't invite you. He invites you to know him. Isn't that what he did with this man? I want you to see this. The blind man didn't know much. He didn't have an answer to most of the questions posed at him in this chapter. But he did know, did see, did hear. Jesus Jesus had rubbed that dirt on his face, told him to wash, and when he did it, Jesus opens the blind man's eyes twice in this chapter. He opens the blind man's eyes of physical blindness. But Kathy, right here at the end, when he looks up at Jesus and sees a person who loves him and cares for him, and is not tearing him down, is not saying, it's your fault, is not saying, you're a no good sinner, and is actually saying, look, you now see the Son of God. Now hear the Son. Jesus opened his eyes spiritually. He opened his eyes twice. I want to tell you, Jesus might want to open your eyes more than once. I don't know what it is in your life that needs to be open. It could be a physical thing. It could be a spiritual thing. It could be an emotional thing. It could be a financial thing. It could be a relationship thing. It could be it could be a wrong theology thing. It could be any of those things. God wants to open your eyes, but He, he wants to open your eyes maybe in more than one kind way. So when He opens His eyes that second, He begins worship. Falls down at the feet of Jesus and he worships him I want to tell you today there was uncertainty in this story, but uncertainty is not the issue. there was suffering in the story today. I want to tell you suffering is not the issue it's not your issue either. your uncertainty and your suffering is not the issue. Here is the issue seeing Jesus knowing Jesus is the real sheep I want to say that one more time: seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, the real Jesus. Going to open these altars. I want to tell you that those are blind from birth. You are welcome. For more information about Redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at two one four. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.